Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The delicious conversation starts right here and right now and I welcome you to my kitchen. Thanks for stopping by. Sit down, have a bite, ask for seconds. That's the greatest compliment for any chef and great cook, don't you think? I hope that this weekend finds you healthy, well, and safe. And do not touch your dial, because if you want to cook like a pro, well then, this show is for you. The culinary landscape is ever-evolving, and I have had the privilege for almost 18 years now to share my passion with you on the radio. On this show, you'll hear from chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs and molecular gastronomers, food bloggers and enthusiasts, farmers and authors and wine geeks and beer experts, because we dish on fabulous food and wine and spirits too, plus travel, health, and living the best life. And for all those things like we'll travel for food that we're not doing currently, we'll get back to that. But my goal every week is to satiate your appetite. So I hope that you will not miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. I have lots of gastronomic inspiration posted at chefjamie.com with thousands of free recipes, by the way. And you can find my daily dish, sometimes shameless, but always scrumptious, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please become a friend and a fan. And if you happen to have missed a show or you want to master a topic, you can find my podcasts with outline show descriptions on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So uh, let me tease you just a bit and let you know about the talent that is coming up. She graces this show every time she releases a new cookbook, and maybe not since the beginning because she's on her 42nd. Yes, that is true talent. And I am grateful to know and to adore the work of the New York Times star food writer, Melissa Clark. She is breaking down new French classics in her just released, highly anticipated runaway bestseller, albeit it was expected on the New York Times list since week one. The cookbook is entitled Dinner in French, and Melissa Clark is sitting down to dish you will no doubt get hungry and you don't want to miss the conversation. So please stay tuned. And then because we will need to quote unquote, work it off before the end of the hour, our resident workout guru, Lisa Lynn is here. And we're talking about how to regain control of our eating with our staying safe at home uh, troubles lately. I could put it that way, right? She's sharing workouts and insight and really good ideas to feel good all the time. And she always has a Tootsie Roll in her pocket, so you have to trust her, right? Let's get to the delicious conversation, though. It's time. Summer is just about here. 
And summer corn is such a lovely thing. It really is. This is a summer corn tutorial because I was raised by a corn lover. In fact, my mom put corn in everything she could think of. And one of my favorite uh, memories as a child and something I still make today. In fact, I made it, I call it, I called it COVID comfort cooking was a baked spaghetti dish that my mom used to make. She made spaghetti with really good red sauce and then poured it into a casserole dish with a ton of cheese mixed in, topped the, you know, top of the casserole with cheese and baked it. And so the edges got all crispy and crusty and the spaghetti cooked through even more. So it was just so tender and warming and it fed your soul, no doubt. And she always threw a drained can of sweet corn kernels in to add that sugary, wonderful flavor. There is nothing like summer corn, though, fresh off the cob. And you can grill it or steam it or, you know, eat it on the cob. But you never want to miss out on a sweet summer crop of corn. And I've already bought uh, the corn that's at the grocery store, the supermarkets right now. And I have to tell you, it is showing well. Yes, it is super sweet. And if that is uh, any directive as to what we can expect as the weather heats up, well, then we're in for a very good corn season. Nothing says summer quite like corn. Maybe because of the veggies' climatic roots, scientists believe that the people of central Mexico developed corn from a wild grass at least 7,000 years ago. And it's also known as maize, of course, but it spread north to be uh, the, you know, to rather to the southwestern United States and then south to Peru. Uh, Columbus acquired corn from the Indians in America, brought it back to Spain. From there, it spread to Western Europe, to the rest of the world. It is now grown on every continent except Antarctica, which I think is fascinating. And what food is more synonymous with a summer barbecue than corn on the cob, right? Now, I happen to love the host of different varieties that are available today. You can find corn in a rainbow of colors, red and pink and black and even purple. And just for fun, before you bite into that cob at your next barbecue, take a closer look because the average ear of corn has 800 kernels arranged in 16 rows with one strand of silk for each kernel. Now that is unnecessary dinner party conversation, as I call it, but you will be a culinary hero if you knew to mention that the average ear of corn had 800 kernels. There are lots of alternatives, by the way, to eating it straight from the cob. So let's start with freshly made cream corn. Oh, yes. You throw fresh kernels that you've cut off the cob, lay a kitchen towel down on your cutting board. It will keep the kernels from flying everywhere. And I throw the kernels into a saute pan and I add butter. And after a little while, I add some cream and I season and you heat it through and you eat it. And it's really just that good. Um, Then, of course, you want complete yield, right? That's called waste not, want not. And so when you've cut the 
kernels off the cob, you always want to use the back of your chef's knife, not the blade, but the back portion of the knife uh, to scrape the corn cobs of the corn milk, as it's called. That's that milky liquid that you extract from the cob. And it's a great addition to cream corn and it goes into corn soup and it's beautiful in chowder. Now you can also boil the cobs if you want, um, in a pot of water, you'll get an, a subtly corn-infused liquid that is a great substitute for plain water. Uh, let's say you want to make corn stock. You need lots of cobs, in fact, but it's totally very veggie, and it's a great thing to use as a substitute for water, no doubt. And then if you have more kernels, how about a corn and avocado salsa for grilled salmon or tomato and corn salsa for dipping chips into? I think that scallops and shrimp and crab or lobster, shellfish for sure, pairs well with corn. Summer salads, clam bakes. Um, I love corn soup, hot or cold, alongside a, a bitey arugula salad as a meatless Monday dinner. That sounds good right about now. And coconut is a crazy great flavor complement to corn as well. So you could make corn and coconut soup using coconut milk. Oh, yes. Oh, corn and cheddar biscuits. I wouldn't want to forget that as well. Most of all, though, I love grilling corn. And my secret, you guessed it, yes, I am a mayonnaise fanatic, is a coating of mayonnaise on the corn cobs before they go on the grill to lock in moisture. Don't knock it till you try it. It's just that good. And then you could always, you know, uh, sprinkle with Parmesan or make Parmesan basil butter. There are corn recipes galore, by the way, to savor the summer season's bounty and to capture the essence of sweet corn at its peak. Corn cakes, corn salsas, corn chowder, and my maple chipotle grilled corn recipe, all posted at chefjamie.com. That is the bonus recipe this week, my maple chipotle grilled corn. And while I used to solicit you for your email address, I have been inundated and overwhelmed with kind notes and recipe requests, so forgive me. We are working on a new process to get the word out to you. But until then, please check out chefjamie.com. You'll find my maple chipotle grilled corn recipe. And you can actually sign up so that you get on my list so that I can start sending you deliciousness. Not too often, I promise. And I will never sell your name or your email address. You have my word. That will give you more great conversation to have with a fellow foodie. This will too. Tell them you heard Melissa Clark of course, the beloved of the New York Times, share her best recipes live on Food & Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. She's here and we're dishing right after this. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Delighted you're listening. Please don't touch your dial. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We do have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show. And I am beyond excited that this extraordinary talent is back. Melissa Clark doesn't speak French, but in the kitchen, she's fluent. 
New York Times star food writer Melissa Clark is here, breaking down new French classics from her just released, highly anticipated, and expectedly runaway New York Times bestseller cookbook called Dinner in French. In it, she shares 150 recipes that reflect a modern yet distinctly French sensibility. And she's really bringing French cooking into the 21st century. It is destined to be a new classic, and you have to see the beauty of this book. The impeccably talented Melissa Clark, food columnist for the New York Times and author of the title Dinner in French, is gracing this show once again. And as I hope you can tell, I am beyond delighted. Melissa, welcome back and thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jamie. Yes, of course. Um, Congratulations. The book is beautiful, not only to look at pictures of you at a farmer's market in Paris, but because it brings me back to travel and a beautiful cheese and memories of my time in France. And it is an incredible compilation of recipes. Kudos to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, The research and development for what was your 42nd cookbook, this one, had to be extra delicious. I was was so lucky. So I wrote, you know, most of the book I wrote in Brooklyn, which is where I live. Right. And um, I have lots of access being in New York City to all kinds of French ingredients. Um, Although I don't really need French ingredients in a way. I mean, this is stuff... my really my goal for the book was to make it so that anybody could cook it anywhere um, in the world, yes. especially in in America. Um, but I did do all the recipe developing here in Brooklyn. But the best part was the photo shoot. We got to go to France and shoot it. Um, we rented a house. We had a photographer and a food stylist, and we worked together. And that was to really immerse readers in the feeling that when they're reading this book, they're they're just reading, they're glimpsing a little bit of France, you know, yes. especially right now when we're all itching to go somewhere, maybe <laughs> we're itching to go to southern France. Oh, and that's how I felt. I felt transported there. And maybe it was, like you said, my escape. It wasn't your first immersion, though. I loved reading about how you traveled with your parents, and it has shaped your culinary career, no doubt. You told your kindergarten teacher something about summer travel that is just too cute. And I wonder if that still describes your trips to France. You know, it doesn't anymore. But when So I used to go to France. I've been going there ever since I was a teeny small child. My parents were psychiatrists, mm-hmm. um, which, was, um, which meant that back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, they had the whole month of August off. It doesn't hmm. work that way anymore no. um, in the field, but that's how it used to be. And they would house exchange. And we'd exchange our house in Brooklyn for a house in France. And this was a great, affordable way to take your family on vacation for a month um, without mm. having to pay for a hotel. And this was before the Internet. You know, it was before Airbnb. People didn't house exchange like they do right now. So it was my parents were pioneers. Yeah, before. very progressive. Um, but what it meant was that when we went to France, we cooked. We had a kitchen. We went to markets. And we cooked our hearts out. Hmm. And when we weren't cooking, we were thinking about what restaurant to go to. Hmm. And so we would take these long drives. You know, my, my, my dad had this um, Michelin guidebook, and he would check off all the restaurants, and his dream was to go to every single starred restaurant in, the whole, in France, in the whole Michelin, which is, you know, he tried his best. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, a quite a feat, There's if a doable, yeah. right? Um, so we, anyway, we would take these long drives, and we would, we would go to have a meal, and because we didn't have GPS, you know, this is before GPS, before sure. cell phones, we would have a big old map, and my mom would navigate my dad to this restaurant in the country, and we'd inevitably get incredibly, terribly lost. 
and it was always very dramatic. And my parents would be fighting in the front seat, you know, like, Rita, why didn't you say to turn left? I did, I said, you know, and there'd be these roundabouts. And anyway, it was this sort of comedy of errors. We always got there. When my kindergarten teacher asked, you know, what do you do in France every summer with your parents? I said, little five-year-old me, first we get lost. Then we have lunch, because that was exactly how I experienced the entire vacation. There is beauty in getting lost, right? I think it very much shaped your culinary career and maybe created an obsession with food, because to get to the destination was was so uh, inspiring. And to aspire to, you know reach out and experience every Michelin-starred restaurant. Your father was really a foodie. I mean, that's quite extraordinary. And I think that it, for me especially, knowing you over the years, but getting to know you through the New York Times and through your recipes, it gives backstory as to why you study and explore what you do for uh, the New York Times, for, for how, how you do it so brilliantly. I mean, it like almost makes sense to me now. Definitely a part of... How I think about food yes. is, you know, what can I try? What can what what is the next recipe that I can explore? Hmm. You know, very much like you know, exploring an actual place is exploring food from that place in your very own kitchen, and that's what I really wanted to help readers do. You know, whether people are francophiles if they've been to France and they love it and they want to be reminded of it, mm-hmm. or for people who don't really understand or know much about the cuisine but love big bold flavors, and you know, also um, I kept it very. Um, home cook friendly. You know, I made sure it's not chefy. I think a lot of people think of French food as being very, you know, fancy sauces and very chefy. And I really wanted this book to be about the way French people cook their dinners every night and how, how they have their dinner parties. So it's, mm. um, it really is for the home cook and not for the chef. Yeah, no, it's, I have to say, and I agree with you, the, the recipes are very doable in that it's, has a sense of rusticity to it, right? The rustic way that the French cook at home is very different than the classic way I was trained in culinary school, quote unquote, right? right. And, and that right. application exactly. comes through. It really does. Let's talk recipes, please, from Dinner in French. If you've just tuned in, you're late. Melissa Clark is here. Of course, (laughs) the star food writer from the New York Times, the best shrimp scampi recipe I've ever made. Um, You have remastered the classics. So I would like to start there. There is nothing more uh, humbling, I would say, than making mayonnaise and nothing more real than reading that Melissa Clark had to master it as well. So can you help us master making mayonnaise, please? It's really about getting a rhythm of adding the oil. So my, I used to break mayonnaise all the time. Like whenever I would try to make it, it would break. And um, I would do it in the blender. And I would, you know, people say, oh, it's so easy to do in the blender. But mine kept breaking and I didn't understand why. And finally I figured it out. You know, when you, so a mayonnaise is um, an emulsion, which means you have to join the, um, the, the fat and the water, right, and the liquid. So you need the egg and the oil and the lemon juice. You need to be very careful about how you add um, the oil to the egg. And one of the things I was doing wrong was I was going so slow because you're supposed to add it drip by drip. I was taking six, seven minutes to add the oil to the blender. And then what was happening is that the egg was overheating and my egg was getting so hot in that blender that it broke. So you have to, I think the one thing someone told me once when they were troubleshooting why my mayonnaise always broke, they said, when you're making mayonnaise in the blender, 
add all of the oil in under one minute. So once I started actually speeding it up, it always worked perfectly. Okay, Melissa, stop there. You are making me so hungry. We need to take a quick break. We're back with the New York Times star food writer, Melissa Clark, right after this. We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with the beloved Melissa Clark, New York Times, 42-time cookbook author, and the newest release entitled Dinner in French, already a New York Times bestseller. There is nothing like homemade mayonnaise and French fries for dipping when in France or Brussels, and then you can never go back, right? Oh, so true. I, you know, I even, I do that all the time. Whenever I get French fries anywhere in the world, you know, I always get mayonnaise. I mean, ketchup's good, too. Sometimes I'll mix ketchup and mayonnaise. Yes. So and dressing there. But I love the creaminess oh. of the mayonnaise or the crispness of the, the fries. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, no doubt. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I, that, that's, that's our job. I love that part of the job. I always felt better about myself. Many, many years ago, Ming Tsai of Blue Ginger came on this show and uh, graced us as well. And he talked about how he could never make mayonnaise, that he that he hadn't mastered it, that it broke every time, that he had a, a sous chef in the kitchen that he always tasked it with. Because for him, it was just like the, <laughs> it, it was the crux for him, right? He could right, never right, get it. Right. And I love the in less or under than a minute, mu- you, you know, you must drizzle in the oil. Once you've mastered mayonnaise, you feel like a culinary hero. <laughs> So yeah, true. it's and then you, lofty and, you and lovely. Realize, wow, you can make mayonnaise in under five minutes. Right, quick and easy. It's really quick. I mean, yeah. after you do it the first couple of times, then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So it does make, I mean, I really do pull the blender out any time. I'm like, oh, sure, mayonnaise, no problem. Yeah, no no, no issue. Um, on the cheese front from Dinner in French, you make a bevy of fromage fort. And it's such a good French lesson in how to use it up. Oh, my God. So fromage fort is this amazing... It's like the perfect invention for the thrifty French cook. Right. right. So you have your, because if you're in France, if you live in France and you're French, you probably eat a lot of cheese, which means you've got all these little cheese ends in your French, just like the little bits of the ends of cheese. Um, And so what are you going to do with them? You know, you can't put them out on a cheese tray because they're not going to look very good. So what the French have done is they've developed this recipe for fromage four, and you take all those little ends of the cheese and you... You throw them in your food processor or your blender with some butter, some white wine, some herbs and garlic, and you make a delectable spread. Mm. And it's just this yummy spread you can put on. I love it on Ritz crackers, especially. Yes. Um, And I have a straight-up version, and then I have a version where I put jalapeno and cilantro and tequila in there. And that looks so good. Yeah, it was like, you know, if, if Fromage 4 took a, took a Tex-Mex vacation, <laughs> come back this way. And it has this wonderful, uh, fancy name, but it is, it's like the French version of a cheese ball, right? Like where you go in, uh, and oh, yeah. take the edges of everything and make this delectable, cost you nothing, totally fancy, set it out, you know, for friends with Crostini and look what I made. Um, and I love that you put a spin on it for sure. Would you share your thoughts on scalloped potatoes, please? Because 
as you say, there might be nothing better. That's another recipe to master in this lifetime. Oh, yeah, scalloped potatoes. So, I mean, scalloped potatoes, right, you've got the creamy potatoes on the bottom Mm. and the cheesy thing. But to me, the best part of scalloped potatoes is that cheesy, browned, crunchy bit on top. Yes. That is what I love. I love, I really like browned cheese. I mean, I love melted cheese. I love all kinds of cheese. I love melted cheese, but brown cheese, those crunchy bits, that's my favorite. And so what I did, my version of scalloped potatoes, is instead of making it very deep and it's putting shallow. it in a casserole, yes. you know, casserole dish, I put it in a sheet pan. So you get more of that crunchy brown topping to mm. go around. And to me, it's the perfect ratio. Yeah. You have a thin layer of creamy, you know, very soft potato. Mm. And then on top, you have a huge layer of crunchy brown mm. Yeah, which is why we love you. That's why we love you, by the way, because you've taken these French classics and brought them current where we love a sheet pan meal. Why not use your sheet pan for a shorter cooking time for better texture to make scallop potatoes in a in a new way. You do the same thing with a phyllo wrapped brie, which is traditionally puff pastry. But I loved reading, uh, as long as we're on the topic of cheese, that you have a very unhealthy relationship with brie cheese. And this is going to be, if it isn't already, the new dinner party dish. You make a phyllo wrapped brie with hot honey and anchovies. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I do. I mean, I really like... if there's melted cheese around, like <laughs> baked brie, oh god, I love baked brie. Yes, fondue, anything, like really, just I'll, you know, I, I will, I will pick the cheese off of. Like if there's just like a, you know, when you, there's one slice of pizza left in the box, and you're like, should I freeze it? Should I put it in the fridge? I'll just pick the cheese off. Right, and throw away the crust. You're willing to salvage it. Yeah, right, and that, and you feel good about it too. Isn't that the funny part? Yeah, totally. yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to eat all those carbs. <laughs> I'll just eat cold cheese off the top. Exactly. That's very funny. So, um, but bake, yeah, so baked brie. So the phyllo dough, instead of using puff pastry, I find phyllo more reliable and more reliably crunchy. Huh. It's a little more finicky to work with in that you really just have to make sure to keep it covered so it doesn't dry out. But, you know, you're not making the dough. You're buying a box of dough, which is great. I'm all for buying a box of dough when you get fantastic results. And then, you know, instead of just putting um, a sweet, jam on baked brie you know normally people put um like preserves like marmalade or raspberry jam or something sure fig jam super super savory um roasted peppers you know Mm. the jarred kind yes and anchovies and so it's like super salty savory melty cheese with a brown crust yeah but then it has then it has hot honey so you get sweet heat to finish off the richness of the cheese and the crunchy phyllo. And I can talk about salivating on the microphone. I can only imagine the, the just absolute contrast of all of those different textures and flavors. And I cannot wait to make it. I really can't. Oh, good. It'll be the first thing I make. Um, talk tart flambe, if you would. Alsatian roots. You know, I learned to make tart flambe very early. The first professional kitchen I ever worked in, Melissa, we served a tart flambe. And that was something to to embrace. Like that became my go-to for everything, right? If you were coming over, oh, I'll make tart flambe. Like it was so elevated, Really? Yeah. So it's, and it's, it really, it's just a glorified pizza. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. But I didn't tell anybody that. So yes, it has Alsatian roots and it's made from bread dough. Um, 
or pizza dough that you know you can use pizza dough that you buy. But what's so great about it is that instead of a sauce like a red sauce, it gets a layer of just of a white cheese. You know, traditionally it's fromage blanc, but right. um, you know there are all kinds of you can use cream cheese. You can use all kinds of things instead. You can use um, you know heavy cream mixed mm. with a little cream cheese. But this is what really makes it fantastic. There's bacon, little bits of bacon in there, mm-hmm. and mm. onion. And it's just the, like, mm, the, uh, the, the creaminess of the cheese, the onion and the bacon together. And that makes it just, um, it's just so good. And yeah. it's, not, it's not like pizza. I mean, it's like pizza in that you're eating a crunchy flatbread. But the topping is just really its own thing. And I have um, a traditional one. And then I also sometimes do it with some greens on top, which I love because it makes it a little bit fresher. You can use spinach or chard. And it's just a lovely, fresh um, flavor next to the richness of the bacon. Yeah, no, it looks lovely and it feels fancy. And there's, there's just something beautiful about that. You never cease to amaze me. Your, uh, extraordinary passion, your continued commitment and dedication to your craft. Um, we are all very much in awe of you and you uh, have done it again. So congratulations. I'm also immensely grateful that you took the time to grace this show again. So thank you. The book is a a beautiful new classic. Congratulations to you. Um, I will hold it near and dear and cook from it. And I don't know a great cook that will not add it to their collection. Um, Thank you, Melissa, for for always sharing your love of food. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. New York Times beloved food writer Melissa Clark is breaking down the new French classics. And yes, they, they are new and fabulous in only Melissa Clark style as they could be. 150 recipes with a modern yet distinctly French sensibility. The great author and journalist Bill Buford uh, was quoted as saying, this cookbook is so appealing, it will drive you a little crazy. And I have to tell you, in the best way, I I almost couldn't get enough of reading through Melissa's book because I couldn't wait to make dish after dish after dish. It is a, a beautiful cookbook that will transport you to France. It's full of charm and exceptional recipes, and you will salivate just to make them. So find the New York Times bestseller from Melissa Clark just released her 42nd cookbook, Proven, Tried and True, entitled Dinner in French on Amazon, of course, in fine bookstores everywhere, and follow Melissa's culinary uh, experiences and the best that she has to share, of course, at Clark Bar, C-L-A-R-K-B-A-R, at Clark Bar, uh, will get you to uh, all the goodness that is Melissa Clark of the New York Times, the new cookbook, Dinner in French. We do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. You wouldn't miss a weekend of listening now, would you? There's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Always aspiring to live the best life. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. 
While social media posts jokingly referred to it as the quarantine 15, different than the freshman 15, but still as true, it's not really a joking matter. There is no doubt that life in lockdown has created the perfect setup for putting on pounds. And in a poll of more than 1,000 U.S. readers of WebMD, nearly half of the women and almost one quarter of the men said that they had gained weight due to COVID restrictions. Now, food calms nerves, for me at least, and being isolated in my kitchen has been a detriment for sure. But Lisa Lynn to the rescue. She's here with tips to shed a few and feel fabulous again as we begin to venture out little by little. Lisa is, of course, the founder of Lynn Fit Nutrition and the author of the award-winning The Metabolism Solution. She created the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Metabolic Boosting Weight Loss System. She regularly appears with Dr. Oz and more, sharing her workouts and insight. And I'm proud to call her our resident workout guru on this show. She's whipping us back to shape, and I'm always thrilled when she stops by. I know that you're healthy and well, Lise, and I know that you're thinner than me. Oh, well, I don't know, but I'm continuing to stay healthy and moving because it's the best thing we can do to jumpstart that immune system. Oh, isn't that true? Okay, what if we're still staying safe at home? What can we do to get moving? We can see it as a leader lockdown. Yes. What's time than to be locked down if you change your thoughts and think, Now I can exercise every day without any interference, Hmm. without even leaving the house. What good motivation. Yes. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Okay, uh, let's talk about what we can do specifically, and then we'll get to the stairs and the shopping smarter and all that good stuff. Um, Well, you know, it is a little bit of a change of thought, because the first thing we think of is hit the couch and chill and relax. Right. I'm all for that, by the way. But don't do that stuff until you do first things first, which is... Move your body for 20 minutes every day, maybe before you've even stepped out of your bedroom, and everything else will fall into place after that. Like, we Mm. organically want to eat healthy. Yes. We want to eat the right kind of foods, less of them. We even drink more water. You know, I've learned so much from you. I'm uh, still committed to my 12-hour overnight, right? Uh, You you call it lots of different things, um, but... For me, it's intermittent fasting, essentially, yeah. but it does give me the b- leniency, the room, or at least I give myself that room to eat what I want during the hours uh, that that I'm awake. And I will tell you that has kept my weight gain to a minimum being sheltered yeah. at home. The other thing I learned to do from you, and I don't think we've ever shared it on the radio, is... Long ago, when you and I first met, I remember watching you do exercises in a video in bed. And when I traveled, yes, when I travel, and we'll get back to travel again, but when I travel for business and I'm in a hotel room, I do my abs in bed before I get up. And I have to tell you, I do feel better. I love that make it work attitude because that unworkout workout is like one of the highest rated rated on Martha Stewart and I didn't like it to be honest with you but what I realized because I'm believe it or not I'm I can be kind of a fatigue type female if you would I'm a human being and I realized I wasn't alone that sometimes they just can't get up enough energy to abuse their body well here's the good news you don't have to you could lay down with a water bottle right in your bed mm-hmm. and do a tricep extension or a dip right off your bed. I love that you learned that from the celebrities, right? Because you talk about how training the stars, you did have to drag some of them 
literally out of bed. That was the joke. If I showed up at 5 a.m. and I had to get out of bed, I used to buzz Martha Stewart to say, if you don't get out of bed, I'm coming up. And occasionally I would have to. And, I, and honestly, minutes would go by and I would just start scanning them things and getting them to move because I just had a checklist and I'm a little OCD. I got to check it. And what I realized was, we got it all done. So what do I care if they're dressed up and walk downstairs if I still got everything done and they got in better shape? You uh, yeah. mentioned to me off offline um, that you were working on a piece for the blog that I can't wait to read. And I would love if you would give us a, a sneak peek. It's a bit of a rant because I am answering <laughs> email and text after people whining because they can't get to the gym. And I say what I've always said for 25 some odd years. Don't go. Work out home. I am a big fan of home workouts because you can be consistent and frequent. Those are the two most things, most important things when it comes to being successful. There's nothing getting in the way, no traffic. In an eighth of the time. Learn to cheat right on Lisa's blog. It's linfit.com, L-Y-N-F-I-T.com. She is no doubt dedicated to helping you get in the best shape of your life, physically, mentally, and spiritually. So for more great tips on getting your heart pumping, working your whole body, uh, metabolic weight loss, performance, nutrition, and more, please visit linfit.com. Follow her on social at Lisa Lynn Fitness. All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to walk the stairs, Lisa. I'll talk to you soon. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. And I hope that I fed your insatiable appetite and that you gained culinary intelligence for sure. Continue to savor the flavor with me, please, every weekend right here in your radio. Podcasts posted on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite for the hour. I like to call it my last ounce or tidbit of... Uh, scrumptious, scintillating, entertaining conversation. Well, at least I hope you think so. This recipe is specifically written for your air fryer because these kebabs cook up in just 10 minutes, but you could easily adapt it for the grill. And I happen to love swordfish. Um, I always look for what is, uh, you know, freshly caught and of course responsibly caught, uh, most importantly. But if you can find any firm fish that will cube easily and skewer well, well then this recipe is for you. You'll need olive oil and some fresh rosemary, swordfish, a few slices of prosciutto, and a good half a loaf, let's say, of rustic bread, because it is the perfect all-in-one lunch or dinner. These kebabs are swordfish kebabs with that beautiful cubed rustic bread that toasts up beautifully in your air fryer or on your grill. And the swordfish you wrap in a thin piece of prosciutto. So the prosciutto uh, or Italian ham gets crispy and the swordfish stays moist and a little olive oil rosemary bath before it goes into the heat, no matter what heat source you choose, makes it extra special good. And so I'm posting the recipe for my swordfish kebabs, albeit air fryer or grill, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram right now under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen, and you should definitely steal it. Until next weekend, I hope you stay healthy and safe. I thank you for listening. And I'll meet you here for more delicious conversation in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. Well.